This is We Make People. I'm Robin Phillip. In this episode, I sit down with clinical social worker, self-identifying feminist, and badass confident woman Andrea Sharp as we discuss asking your employer for more compensation. Andrea set the tone early in her career when she discovered a sizable discrepancy in her salary compared to her colleagues and offers up some practical advice about having hard conversations that shouldn't really be hard. We also touch on pay equity and some of the disadvantages women have in asking for what they're worth. This is We Make People. Okay. So my name is Andrea Sharp, and I'm 40 years old, and I am a clinical social worker working in the healthcare sector. I recently took on a leadership position in professional practice, and I have been working for approximately 15 years in healthcare. Okay. And like education-wise, did you want to speak to that at all? So, yeah, I can do that. I have a bachelor's degree in social work, and I also have a master's degree in social work. So the the whole kind of premise of this was of to sort of discuss the idea of of asking for what what you're worth or asking for for more compensation in your career when um when you feel it's warranted. So I to give a little background to this, I had some some sort of um, time to reflect on my career um, and sort of going back through my opportunities where I perhaps could have made some better calls in terms of, you know, starting salary or compensation. Um, In a lot of cases for me personally, I was with either smaller companies where it's just like we're a startup and, and, you know, there's not a lot of money to go around or, you know, we wouldn't normally hire you just a technologist and you're not an engineer. So there's kind of like an automatic, you're knocking yourself down a bit. And, and then also a little bit of intimidation about just being a woman working in a, a male dominated industry. So we had sort of had a, a conversation. Yeah, and- we've talked a lot about this over the last several years Mm -hmm. as you've moved into different jobs and also for me as I've moved into different positions and it's always been interesting conversations about you know this idea of negotiating and how to start that conversation but also what are the what are the pieces around even getting to the point where you feel like you are ready to have that type of discussion and I think that's like for me there's been a few times where so like out of school, you sort of take what you can get, which being in, in Kitchener-Waterloo, that's not necessarily the case when you're, some of these companies will, they just like, it's raining money on these university grads. But for me personally, I was just really excited just to get a position and it started as a co-op anyway. So it was lower in the pay and I kind of followed a team and, and so my salary kind of followed me. And when I did have an opportunity to potentially ask for more, I was I felt like I was more in a position where I just really wanted the job because I really needed to be in a specific geographical place. And on top of that, it was just like kind of like the dream company. I was like it was a company I was sort of hoping to work with. So it's just like, I'll just take what I can get. And looking back on that now, I feel like that did was a disservice to me for sure. Um so I'm, to, for me, it's very, very interesting to hear your, like, experiences with, you know, like, when you felt there was a need for a conversation, um, how you went about that. First of all, like, I don't know how that even works, to be honest. They don't teach you that in school, right? I know. I was just thinking about that when we were talking, that one of the things that never got discussed in any of my post-secondary education was the idea of salary negotiation and being in a place where you had the option of having that type of conversation when you were in 
when you were in a situation where a job had been offered to you and that there may be some flexibility or that there's a range in what, how much money could be offered to you. So my first experience with salary negotiation was my, I guess it was my second job out of my postgraduate. So I was in my early 20s and I was not doing a social work job. So the job that I had, um, the only job I could get actually at that time was more of a research assistant type of job. I was doing data collection in an outpatient clinic and a number of the data collectors had professional degrees, professional medical degrees. Social work isn't really considered a medical right. degree. It's a social science degree. So I was working alongside a number of people who had very, had a lot of experience uh, working in healthcare and working with patients. And over the course of the year that I was doing this position, or the first year that I was doing this position, I found out through some of my colleagues that I was making twenty to $30,000 less than some of the other data collectors were. How did you even find that out? It's definitely not information that I had sought out myself. It right. was more that it had come up in casual conversation with some of the other colleagues that I had that were younger and had also been doing the job for less time than some of the the more seasoned staff. Right. Um, so it had, it had come up by chance in, in casual conversation. But when I did find out about the discrepancy between my salary and the other people, um, the, my colleagues that were working in other, in other hospitals, I became fairly concerned about that because yeah. I felt that if we were all doing the same job, that our salaries should be closer together. Right. And You're contributing the same amount of effort and work and yeah and even though there was a there was definitely a range of expertise that more seasoned colleagues were bringing to the job this job was a very basic type of job where it was essentially reviewing patient charts collecting very basic information and oh, okay. and then that information was going into a a database. Okay. So whether or not you have some type of medical degree right, or, or certification, or something. yeah, okay. You're reading a chart. Yeah. Um and the amount of interpretation that you're doing is very low. Right. Um and Obviously, you didn't need a medical degree to do that because I don't have a medical degree and I was hired to do that work. Mm -hmm. So when I did find out that there was a very large range um, that my peers were being compensated in and that they were at the very, very top of the range and I was at the very, very bottom end of the range, I made the decision that I was going to talk to my site boss mm -hmm. about that. And it was an interesting experience in that being a young, uh, newly graduated social worker, not working in the field of social work, I didn't really have any experience to compare it to other than it feeling somewhat like an interview situation where I was making a case about why I deserved to be compensated at a higher level than I was being. And part of that conversation was illustrating the quality of my work and the value that I was bringing to the project that we were all working on. And, and your boss was open to having that discussion? Yeah. So uh, basically what I did is I sent him an email and said I needed to talk to him about something and we needed about 10 or 15 minutes. And we scheduled a time to do that. So I had to wait, I think, two or three weeks before we could sit down together. 
And uh, it was a fairly brief conversation. And it was a very sort of matter of fact, you know, sitting down and telling him why I was there. Yeah. Um, explaining that I had come to learn this information about my colleagues and that I wanted to find out what the options were in terms of increasing my salary and, you know, describing and being clear about the quality of work that I had been doing Mm -hmm. and, you know, being curious about if that was a possibility or not. So how did like did how did that go? Like it was was it sort of like well I'll get back to you. Was Thankfully, it a- my boss at that time was able to see right away that there was a problem with the fact that there was such a discrepancy between right. um, how much I was getting paid and how much my colleagues were getting paid, and he was able to make a commitment to increasing my salary. Right. So that it would be closer to that of my peers. But he also, I got the impression that he really understood that it was important to have greater equity within those positions, um, particularly when the site that I was working at was one of the higher functioning sites. Okay. And that was a that was reflective of me and the work that I was doing at that site. So I think the benefit to me was I wasn't new to the job. People had already gotten to know me. It was about a year into the position. So people had already got to know me and could see my work ethic and could see my output of work. And that that likely played into the decision that if this is someone who's very high functioning and is doing a good job, then right. the compensation should reflect that as well as should re- be reflective of the compensation that is being received by peers doing the same work. Right. So that's that's kind of awesome that that happened early on in your career, because I'm sure that set the tone for like, OK, like that's not going to happen again. And 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 having had that conversation once, maybe a little bit easier to do this, like if it was needed to or, yeah, or, it definitely, or not. It definitely helped me to have more confidence in those challenging conversations that come up with supervisors and managers. Um, and at a young age, being able to talk about the work that I was doing and the quality of the work that yeah. I was doing. And from my perspective, how I was feeling about how I thought the job was going, I think was really positive. And the best part of it was that my my boss at that time agreed with me that there needed to be more okay. equity within the position. So that really reinforced this idea that there needed to be an even playing field. And although as a younger staff person... Maybe I shouldn't have the expectation of making the same amount of money as someone that's been doing the job for 10 or 15 years, but that I needed to be in a ballpark. Yeah. Within, and that there needed to yeah. be an appropriate range of uh, the salary. So it was a very, very good experience to have at an early at an earlier time in my career. And it was a couple of years later that I found myself in a similar position. So With a different job or were you... With a different job, um, I had, after I had worked in this particular job for two years, I decided to go back and do my master's degree in social work. And the first job that I took after graduating from my master's was a temporary full-time position as a social worker. I worked in that job for a year, and then what ended up happening was my manager was able to offer me a permanent full-time job, which from a compensation perspective meant that I would have access to a pension. I would have more protected vacation time. I would have insurance benefits, a bunch of other things. And what I didn't realize when I was, when I had accepted the permanent full-time position was 
although I was getting a very slight increase in my hourly wage, when you compared my temporary full-time paycheck to my permanent full-time paycheck, even though I was making more money an hour by a very, very small percent, that I was receiving significantly less on my paycheck every two weeks because a, a chunk of money was now going towards pension and private insurance and other things. Yep. So when I realized that was happening, I called my manager right away and I very calmly and respectfully but firmly explained that I wasn't in a position to take a pay cut mm-hmm. um, for a permanent position. And even though in the long run, a permanent position would be better. Sure. And I mean, that's debatable. Sure. Um, I mean, it really depends on what your values are and what's important to you. But from my perspective, I wasn't in a position to to be able to take a pay cut. And initially, um, that manager was not was not supportive or was not, she didn't seem to be able to be flexible on the hourly, like increasing the hourly wage so it would at least right. be the she same. Yeah, okay. I didn't let it go and I was, again, you know, very respectfully explained why I thought that it would be the better choice to increase my hourly wage to to match what I had been making for that past year. And she finally decided that, yes, we could do that. So how long did that take to, to sort of work probably, out? probably, I mean, we, it was tricky because we ended up having to have the conversation on the phone, Ooh. which wasn't a great, it's not the greatest way to, to negotiate uh, a delicate scenario the way that salary negotiation is but I had a relationship with her I had already worked with with her and for her for a year I think that she felt that I was the right person to be in that position and that it was probably worth it to give me a couple more dollars an hour Mm -hmm. and keep me where I was because I had been pretty clear with her that this was the position that I wanted to do and I was in it for the long haul. Okay, yeah. And that I wasn't going anywhere and that I was going to make this position or continue to make this position my own, um, that that those reasons were compelling enough for her to acquiesce to my request. So had that, had she still sort of said, no, that's not going to happen, like, would you have, would you have considered, like, looking elsewhere or... I think that my the speed of my reaction to that was very quick and I was able to have that conversation in a time frame that that really spoke to the immediacy of the situation okay. and as a as a young single person living by myself in downtown Toronto that taking a pay cut was really not an option for me. Right. And had the answer had the answer been no, we're not going to be able to increase your salary, I probably would have had to get another job. Oh, really? Mhm. Yeah, I would have I would have needed to I would have needed to adjust my my budget accordingly and that may have led to me getting another job or eventually working right. working elsewhere. So I felt very compelled to advocate quite strongly for myself, but again, in a very respectful but firm way that let that let my manager know that this job is really important to me. It's a highly specialized job with a very specific patient population. I have all the all of the skills to do that. I am the right person for this job, mm-hmm. but I need to be compensated in a way that is reflective of my skills and also allows me to to continue living at the same level. Yep. You know, that seems reasonable. That, that doesn't seem like, you know, asking too much. I think if you're valued and that's kind of what I understand now is 
I feel like I could probably present my um my skills and my contributions in a way that I never really thought about doing in the past that would maybe make that kind of conversation um go a little better like I know there's a lot of people that I've seen in the past that have been like you know well I've been here you know five years I need a raise but that to me that's not that doesn't it doesn't work that way like to me you're either taking on more or you're you're contributing more or so I've never I've never been somebody that really believes in like oh well you've been sitting in the same chair excuse me for for longer than everybody else so you should get more I think it depends on the environment that you're in and the type of employer that you work for. So in some environments, the time that you've worked there is the most important uh, measurement of the type of employee that you are. So in unionized environments, it's all about time. Your seniority is everything. That's true. Um, I've never worked in a unionized environment, or I've never, I should rephrase that. I do work in a unionized environment, but I'm not a unionized employee. Gotcha. So my compensation is based on my performance every year, and I do get a pay increase annually based on my performance and how I've been evaluated by my peers as well as by my direct report. Right, but if that's an environment where, you know, there's you know, there's sort of an opportunity for an annual increase, then you're probably not the only one getting that. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So I work in an environment where everybody, even the unionized employees will get increases. Right. I believe the unionized employees get a set increase and everybody gets the same increase across the board. Right. So going back to your point about time spent in a job, Often in unionized position, that is the only measurement that gauges um, your increase in salary and then also any other type of benefits that are meaningful to you. So length of vacation, Mm -hmm. um, how your vacation requests are prioritized with your peers. So if I have been working for a year and you've been working for 20 and we want to take the same week off of vacation. Right. If I'm in a unionized environment, the person working 20 years is probably going to get that request approved. Right. So I think it really depends on your employer and what's valued. Yeah. Um, I guess coming from an industry where, you know, you're, you're bought and sold pretty regularly. You're... Do you work in the sex trade? <laughs> uh, Can you tell ooh. me a little bit more about this buying and selling of people? <laughs> Well, because like, so there was the first probably five, five years of my career was like, okay, we're all working under this letterhead. Here's our company and we're all doing this job. And then, okay, they don't want those type of jobs in North America anymore. So we're going to go to this other company that does something very similar, but we're all still the same team and we're all still working under the same hierarchy it was very strange and even to the point there was once where we stayed in the same building and they just changed the sign outside the door so that's interesting and and like layoffs were not not unheard of like there was the first five years of my career was just like oh your bonus is you get to keep your job like you get it's like hey guys there's a there's a staff meeting at 10 a.m everybody come to the lunchroom and then you'd be like pulled into a lab and be like, don't leave this room. And you're like, okay. And then you kind of wait 20 minutes and then somebody comes in and is like, okay, so you've been pulled out of this meeting because you're not being laid off. Please get your things and go home for the day while we do like exit interviews. So there was, there's always this kind of cycling and, and, and specifically within, you know, technology, semiconductor and hardware people cycle through different companies too, right? They're like, everybody's kind of worked at their competitors and everybody's kind of um, done time doing similar positions under different companies. So I didn't really know how to navigate that kind of. (laughs) It's an interesting scare tactic too. When you think about the psychology around layoffs and moving people around in that way that, you are probably less likely to 
want to have a discussion about your value yep. when you're watching other people around you drop yes. like flies. Yeah. So I wonder how intentional that was. Oh, oh yeah, I'm I'm certain that's like because you know by like round one of layoffs, it's like people are compensated fairly well on their leave of the company, but by your like round four. You know, it's kind of like, well, you know what? If you want to sue us, go for it. Like, we're not giving you anything. How do you know that? Is that your impression? Or no, is that's that... like conversations with people who who left at round four. <laughs> that's uh, interesting. Yeah. So but when you're when it's a, a private company, it's not unionized. It's you know, it that that is that can be the environment. Right. Um, I think for me, it was just sort of my network kept me afloat. Right. Like so being involved with that same team. You know, it's like, oh, somebody would go to this company and they'd be like, oh, hey, co- everybody come over here. Like, like, hey, we need this person. We need this. We need this engineer. We need this, um, you know, uh, we need somebody to, to design a new lab. We need like so they'd pull people over, which is, you know, it's advantageous for them because they probably get some sort of bonus for, you know, bringing people on board. Um, so it was this really kind of strange, um, strange environment. But the position after that. Um, it's been it's been fairly stable like the concept of working at the same place for 20 years just eludes I have no idea what that must be like the longest I've been is in the position I'm in now and that's like seven years at this point wow so so yeah I think there was there was a long time where I was just sort of like how can I possibly go to my boss and be like hey um, I feel like you owe me more, but then maybe that should have been more appropriate at that point. Cause it's like, now I'm taking on that person's job and that person's job and that person's job. Um, yeah. I think it depends on how opportunistic you are. And I've always been an incredibly opportunistic person where I feel like if you don't ask for things that you're probably not going to get them. So you need to be the one that creates that opportunity to have a conversation with somebody about increasing your salary or increasing your compensation in some way. Um, I feel like that now, like I feel like I could probably speak to that now, but you know, when, when you're, like you said, like when you're seeing people leave, it's kind of hard. I think it depends on how you look at it. So from your perspective, I can see how a consistent, an environment where there was consistent layoffs happening on a regular basis would scare anybody into not wanting to ask for more because yes. then you are potentially putting a target on your back for being yes. the next person to to get laid off. But then on the flip side of that, if you're on a team that starts off as 20 people and then you're a team of 10... To me, that's an opportunity that there's 10 salaries that are floating around somewhere in the company. Yep. And maybe could they afford to give you another $5,000 a year? Probably not because they probably they've probably laid off some director that's being given like, you know, 2 years salary as his <laughs> Is that a common thing in the private sector 2 years salary? Um because that's not a common thing in the public <laughs> yeah, sector. I know it's not. <laughs> um, so yeah, so my understanding is by round four, there is no money left because the initial rounds of layoffs, and it's usually the management that gets laid off first. Yeah, because they my cost experience. the most. That's right. So they leave, but then their compensation packages are usually pr- fairly, you know, robust, and so. And that in the public sector, that's completely unheard of. Yeah. So so now, you know, the company is suffering a little bit or it's transitioning. And, you know, those those Maybe bigger that's salaries. Why all these companies are closing because their <laughs> compensation packages are so fucking high. <laughs> that's, that's maybe that's it's for like a different podcast. Maybe you don't know how to run a business. Because that's kind of crazy. Well, someone's crazy. making money, but it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so... You know, that's not to say I, I wasn't enjoying my job at that point. And I wasn't, again, to me, it's always been, am I learn, Am I get, getting something out of this? Am I learning something? And then that accumulative knowledge over time has led me to where I am now, where I can recognize certain things that I wouldn't have really recognized in the past. Like, right. okay, that's cool if you want me to take on those four people's jobs. But if that's important to you, then we maybe need to have a conversation. Yeah, and I think part of that conversation doesn't just have to be about money, but it's other things that could be important to you. So one of the things that I've 
heard about over the years is negotiating other perks. So maybe it's more vacation time. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a parking spot. Maybe it's an increase in the type of insurance benefits you have. Sure. Or in the private sector, like stock options or... Yeah, yeah. so stock options, bonuses. Um, sometimes people are able to negotiate their severance package when they're hired. Well, that's interesting. When you get to higher levels um, in certain uh, types of work or in a, a certain type of organization, that is something that you're able to do when right. you accept a job. Um, and on the flip side of that, you have the ability to or, to negotiate your severance package if you were to ever get laid off. So maybe that's why. Which so is something sever- yeah. that a lot of people don't realize that they can do. I've you never can, even considered that. You can hire a lawyer and you can negotiate how many weeks of severance you get based on your, your tenure at a company. Mm-hmm. And also how I think you could also base that on performance. Yep. Um. So, yeah, there are, you do have options. And for a long time, too, like, performance reviews weren't really, they weren't really done. It was sort of like, yeah, here's your performance review and good job, keep it up. And, like, there's nothing on paper that you can go back to and be like, hey, here's here's where I am now versus last year. I feel like maybe we need to have a conversation. You know, it was just sort of like, yep, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. And I think for a long time, I was probably just so cheap that they just kept me on and I was, you know, good at my job. So it's like, eh, I was the total package <laughs> from the perspective of somebody who's, you know, a company who's laying people off and trying to sell off pieces of intellectual property. And But yeah, so like for you, I know you're in a new position. I am in a new position. Yeah. So about six months ago, I took on a leadership position. So I'm no longer working directly with patients. I'm working with uh, staff and managers in different programs in the hospital that I work at. And I did have to negotiate my, my new salary, which was an interesting, uh, experience because I didn't leave the organization that I worked for. I got another job within that organization. So I moved on to a different pay scale. Um, but I was able to find out through a few different channels that the the pay scale that I was on in my old job was very similar to the pay scale that I was going on in my new job. Okay. So my ability to negotiate, let's say, greater than a 10% pay increase was probably not feasible. Okay. Um, because I was at the higher end of my of my previous position's um, scale. And then I was starting as a beginner on the new pay scale. Right. So I would be, in one way you could look at it, I would be lucky if I was able to kind of continue to make the same amount of money. But then on the other hand, again, you don't get to have these conversations very often. So I figured that given my previous experiences with negotiating, that I would put my best foot forward and try and get my hourly wage up as high as I could. Right. So they started with a number. I came back with a higher number. And then we met in the middle, which is usually how that negotiation goes. It's sort of like your turn, my turn. Yep. Here it is. Was that purely for salary or were there other negotiations there for vacation? So it was only for salary and in retrospect, I think I would have tried to negotiate the amount of vacation that I had as well. Right. So I think what I, one of the options that I could pursue when I have my first performance evaluation, which is coming up in the next three months, is I may use that as an opportunity to have a conversation about yeah. my vacation. Right. So, so the, we shall see. The environments that you work in, is there, like there's very much grades of pay, yes? So there's scales. There are pay scales um, that provide a range. So there's the low, mid, and high point of of the range. Yep. And then... But how many ranges are there? Like, is it 
is it like your one? I guess that's a maybe that's more of an HR question, and they yeah, probably don't want you to know necessarily. There's all that, twenty thousand right? people that work in the organization. <laughs> yeah. So when you're hired for a position, your position has a scale. Okay. All yeah. Right. So because we work in an environment where there's regulated health care professionals, each when you're hired as a social worker, let's say you there's a social work scale. Um, if you're hired as a nurse with a bachelor's degree, there would be a scale. Okay. If you were hired as a nurse with a master's degree, there would be a scale. So I do work in an environment where your education does play a role in how much compensation you are are eligible to receive. Right. Um, and then the the position that I'm in, it's not a position that's specific to social work. Uh, so it's a master's level position uh, with some other um, some other pieces that need to be included within that, um, and also it do, it did ask for years of experience, right? As well as some specific type of uh, clinical supervision pieces that I have the ability to do and provide within my job. So all of those things. Uh, contribute to the slight increase in the pay scale that I'm now on. So the scale that you're in, is there room to grow in that scale? Yes, there is. Yeah, and if I didn't have room to grow, then I would really be thinking about what are the other things that I can negotiate for more of. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because education for, in my experience, is you definitely get more money if you have you know, a master's or a PhD, but, you know, kind of going back to your position, your uh, first position where um, you're working with data and, and, you know, if the job's all the same, why would somebody, unless you're contributing more on like a theoretical level or you're publishing or you're, you're signing off on, like, like I understand a PN, you know, professional engineer is going to be, you know, you're more accountable. A, a greater compensation there, yeah, because there's some accountability, there's some some risk associated with that. So, but um, the the one one of the positions I've had in the past is I was actually told by a manager like, hey, you know, FYI, and he was he was leaving the company, so I, I, maybe he kind of felt like he could divulge some information, but he was kind of like. Yeah, you need to not be afraid of making money. And I was just kind of like, what? I had no idea that there was like a discrepancy there. And I don't know if that's because, like, so the person that he was comparing me to had a lot more education, but we were doing the same job. And if, you know, you could probably argue that my contributions were significantly greater, um, which eventually led to a promotion as well. So I kind of sat there thinking like, well, you know, I almost didn't want to know that information. Like, cause what can I do with that? Right. Like you can have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, when your managers are changing jobs, that makes it a little harder too, because it's like suddenly you, somebody's coming on and they have no, you know, kind of concept as to, you know, the dynamic within the team of like, Hey, this person's doing more, this person's doing less. And I actually would disagree with that because I think when managers hand off portfolios, there's a lot of information that gets passed on. And that might be the perfect time to ask for more money because you're you're beginning this new relationship with this new manager. As your old manager is leaving, they have maybe said to the new manager, you know, yep. this is the level of function that this person offers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a great time to be having a conversation about money yeah yeah maybe I think it's all how you look at it right like it's I think that it's very easy to be intimidated by the unknown yeah but nothing's going to change if you don't put it out there that you are interested in yeah in making more money and that you have good reasons as to why you should be making more money. Right. So one of the things that I've felt has been really helpful for me over the years is having professional friends and acquaintances within my own organization, as well as at other organizations where we can actually have conversations about what the different salary ranges are. Right. 
So if someone does the same job that I do in a different organization, I want to know, okay, so what's your salary range at your hospital? How much vacation do you get? Mm -hmm. What's your insurance like? Um, How does your organization value work-life balance? Do you ever get to work from home? Yeah. Like all of those pieces you get to know over the years that certain employers are known for certain things. Yeah. And maybe that guides you to pursue different positions at different organizations because they're what they offer is more in line with what is important to you. Well, I think that's just it, right? If you have options, then then there is no then you you're, I think your that intimidation is is significantly less. Yeah. And it's also just a conversation, too, though. Like, that's the other thing. It doesn't have to be a state of a union conversation. It can be at a monthly check-in meeting with someone that you work for that, you know, you have some questions about salary range and compensation and how often those conversations get to happen within the company that you're working for. Right. I don't think it I don't think it's ever not okay to to be curious about how companies approach mm-hmm. those types of negotiations and i think it's always okay to ask questions yeah i guess i i was naively kind of like well i'm not you know i'm not just in it for the money kind of thing and that i didn't want to be painted in a light where like i thought maybe somebody would be that i would be perceived in that light like it was sort of like yeah, I don't know. You tell yourself all kinds of stuff to try it <laughs> and avoid having com- hard conversations. Yeah. That in hindsight, it's like, ah, that probably wouldn't have been that hard of a conversation to have. Yeah. Which is kind of why I wanted to have this conversation between you and I. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting that, you know, a lot of what held you back initially in your career from having the conversations is this idea of your colleagues and the people that you're working for perceiving you in a certain way. But th- so there's there is a palpable so I'm I'm not an engineer I'm a technologist so there is very much a hierarchy there in terms of the people that I'm I was am and have worked with are predominantly engineers and so like I'm automatically like knocked down a notch um, and then I'm a woman which has historically been my value has been under question from time to time for. I'll say for very short periods of time, because as soon as you've worked with me, I think there's an understanding that I, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, your genitalia doesn't weigh yeah. in. <laughs> Just because I can make people doesn't mean I'm going to do, you know, I don't know how to do my job. Right. So, and I think maybe that had something to do with it. And I think maybe being a woman, there's like, you know, is it, it's unattractive to be aggressive and... And I've seen some women suffer at that. Like, you know, when, if, as soon as you're perceived as aggressive, it's like you're, you're a bitch. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that a lot of us, and I can even speak from my own experience, you know, we're groomed from a very young age to, to be people pleasers and yes. to keep the peace and to make sure that everybody is provided for in a certain way. And a lot of that is bullshit. Yeah. It's constructed and it's not it's not uh true. Yeah. So I think a big part of, you know, really mining down and figuring out why you have a challenge with having these difficult conversations is it really about what you're going to talk about or is it more about, you know, not being clear about who you are and what you bring to the table in a professional context. So for me, when I've had those conversations, I've felt like a valued member of my teams and that I have a right to have a conversation about my compensation because I am perceived as someone that is very high functioning in my duties at work and is also somebody that is well-liked and respected by my team members as well as the people that I'm working for. Right. And I've never been in a job where I've had 
an experience where my the quality of my work was being questioned. So I think I've always had sort of, you know, I've been confident that when I have those conversations that that it is about the work and the compensation and it's not about somebody thinking different differently right. of me because I've I brought something up that I should be able to bring up in my workplace. So I'm curious then if that's more speaking to working in a type of industry that, you know, isn't male dominated. Yeah, yeah. So Yeah. So I mean what's interesting about working in healthcare is that it's a very it's a it's an industry that is predominantly female. Yep. Um, but there are professions within healthcare that have been historically uh, male dominated. I guess for me, like there, there have actually been times where I've gone to a job site and been partnered with somebody or like within a team that's that's going to be doing some sort of task and and there's very much like a oh like what is she doing here kind of vibe and it's not like I'm you know like project like I'm it's not like I'm just making that up in my brain it's like no like that person is very like obviously ticked off that he's being teamed up with me because now he feels like he has to carry all the weight right and it's just like well fuck you because I can I can do that job and let's just get it done yeah so so when you have enough of those things kind of happen then you sort of you sort of see that okay well then I'm perceived as less which actually maybe looking back on that should maybe have driven me to to ask for more money (laughs) I need more compensation because I work with a bunch of doorknobs like I said that doesn't happen all the time there are like I work with some really amazing men and engineers and and women and it's but but there I I'm sure that I have experienced the those moments a lot more than any of my male colleagues of course yeah because there's not there's not that question of of competence when because there seems to be men are working with men there seems to be a box that you you go into it so it's either you're a woman and you're very good at your job or you're a woman and you don't give a shit about your job and you're just there to you're there i don't know to to kind of just feed off of everybody else's work and uh, that is entirely offensive to me Mm -hmm. i think that would be offensive to a lot of people But I've never had a situation where someone has made an assumption about my my abilities or skill set or level of expertise because of my gender. Right. And I think that working in healthcare is a really great place because it is I mean, the the when I look at my executive leadership team in my organization, it's 90 percent women. Right. And I love going to leadership meetings and looking around the room and seeing a room full of very skilled, highly competent women leaders who are running the show in the building, who basically hold it down every day and do an incredible job. And I feel very lucky that I get to work with those, those women because I feel like I'm learning a lot from them. In particular certain leadership styles that people have and their ability to to get to get really hard work done so that you know when we're talking about negotiation like being able to negotiate with different people who are on completely opposite ends of the spectrum of something but then all of a sudden we're you know moving in a direction that is towards the goal that is the best you know the best goal possible for the project that we're working on right so that's that's exciting to me yeah and i know there are there are technology companies and i think there are facets of technology that i think especially nowadays are more open to women like i know there there are companies here in town that like if i was a software developer like they are they're, they seek diversity in their teams so like I, I certainly don't want to be hired because i'm a woman but you know, like if there's a lot more openness to 
not just women, but like people of color and, and like, that's certainly a lot more welcoming. But yeah, when you look at your executive management and you don't see, you don't see diversity. Yeah. That diversity, or you don't see that, that sort of your, you know, that your face on somebody else, then it's, it's a little harder to perceive going in that direction yeah, or that that's even an option. Yeah. Because there's, some sort of subliminal messaging that you know if your leadership group isn't like you then yeah you can then you, you can't aspire to right. be that yeah 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 it's interesting right now i mean again this might be for another another podcast another conversation but i really wonder how meaningful the you know hiring to be more inclusive how much that's actually happening like what the data shows so i know right. that a lot of employers talk about inclusivity and yep. diversity uh you know amongst the sea of white male employees that they have um yeah and i think that there's a lot of evidence that supports the idea that when someone in hr picks up a resume and sees a different type of name yep. or here's a certain type of accent on a phone um, interview that that actually drives decision making mm-hmm. more so than someone saying on their website that they're committed. To. I think all of that is very interesting and needs some some evidence to support the values that are being um, that are being talked about. Yeah. So. But you know, and and you know what the messed up thing is for a long time, especially when I when I got out of school, I was super proud of the fact that I had a unisex name, because my resume. Because you could trick people. Well, no, but seriously, like you know, I, there's a lot. I actually get people are like Robin's a, like a, a man's name. <laughs> and you're like, like, well, clearly it's not because yeah. I'm standing in front of you and I identify as a woman. So, <laughs> yeah, duh. So I it, like. It's kind of, I think of that, I think of that, and I think that's actually kind of sad that I, I would want to almost capitalizing on your gender, gender neutral name. (laughs) No, but like the fact that I, I would see that as a benefit or like that, you know, the industry would, I'd be like, oh, maybe I'd be more inclined to get that interview if, if there, there's not really an obvious, stick my middle name in there and like, forget it. Yeah. Forget it. (laughs) But like, yeah, I, and and that even like went to naming my own children. I was like, do I want my daughter to have a wow. a gender neutral sort of name? Because maybe it will help her. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean that's I've never had to think about that as a white woman who works in a predominantly, you know, female industry. Um but yeah, I mean that's really interesting that that's something. And I'll, I'll that's be honest, been on your radar. I, I am a privileged woman. Yeah, I, I mean we both are. Like I'm a white Canadian educated <laughs> woman, so yeah. like all of the the nuances that we're speaking to right now, certainly, you know, there's context that you know. Yeah, a lot of other people struggle a lot more than I do, and actually that speaks a lot to this whole well at least for me this whole sort of new movement for women's rights and and equality and so yesterday was the the one year anniversary of the women's march and in toronto did you go to that i was at the women's march yesterday yeah yeah and like i i you probably recall that like a year ago when that happened i was i remember sending out an email to a few very key ladies because and i myself was i was included yeah, in that email yeah i didn't i didn't want to I didn't want to be perceived in the wrong light, but I was like, I don't get it. Like I get, I get the international, the women that, that struggle with human rights and in other countries and, and, and lack of education. And I got that, but I didn't, I didn't see my face on in like the March for it. Like, I'm like, I'm, I, I didn't see that, but then it's, it's, it triggered something. This whole movement's triggered something where I've started to, to look back and be like, Oh yeah, that wasn't, that was wrong. And that was probably also wrong, and but I tolerated it, and that was also wrong, 
so yeah it's it's kind of interesting that and unfortunate that <laughs> that it's only now be i'm i'm sort of recognizing that that those are things that i can talk to as well i don't have to be yeah you know yeah i mean i think a lot of women go through a personal journey of being able to define what feminism is and where they have had to work through challenging experiences of gender inequity. Yeah. And last year, what was really interesting about that conversation that we were having was that, you know, I've always considered myself a feminist and I've always considered women's issues, whatever those may be at whatever time period I'm in, very important to me and the women's march last year there's a women's march every year yeah so the group of us that were going last year felt very compelled to march because of a number of things that were happening in the u.s around reproductive rights so you know the idea that donald trump is going to limit access to um to reproductive supports and services for women was very problematic to a group of us. And I think we all felt that very compelled to join our sisters in marching against that type of um, those type of politics and that type of decision making. Um, So when we were having that conversation last year, it was really interesting because you know, this idea that women's rights is, is only confined to this really narrow kind of space of like, let's say, sexual harassment or gendered violence. Yes. Which I think a lot of people think is that broad stroke Yeah, where feminism is about, you know, women being safe. Um, but it's so much more than that, right? So th- and that safety thing was a big thing for me because like I I probably have a foot and like 50 pounds on most guys. So like the safety thing, I've never, I like, thankfully I've never really had to. And that's physical safety. So what we've been talking about a little bit today is the idea of like psychological safety. Yes. And the idea that you are in a professional environment where you're treated the same way or you're treated in a respectful way and in a non-discriminatory way comparatively to your male colleagues and that the absence of that would threaten your psychological safety in some way right so yeah i mean that conversation last year was really interesting and it was i think a really cool opportunity for that group of women who you had posed the questions to to kind of you know talk about what's important to them about feminism and what what is on the radar for things that are non-negotiable things in in our lives right and you know being a woman can be really fucking hard sometimes and even when we're in canada uh in our very kind of cushy middle class mm-hmm. lives there are so still one issues year that come up. and yeah yeah like there's still issues that come up that are that other us in a way that i think is can be very negative and is not in line with with equity and equality. Um, so yeah, I think one of the one of the places in my professional life where gender has played a role for sure would be around issues of sexual harassment and physical safety. Um, that I know for a fact that most of my male colleagues haven't had to deal with. Yeah. So that's something that, from a gendered perspective, would separate me from my male colleagues. Yeah. I think that I think it would be interesting to do maybe a part two where we talk about um, more like like workplace. Yeah, the second part where we can talk a bit more about okay. sexual harassment and even the parts about psychological safety and whatever. I think we could we could probably do like a whole other talk about that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for. For sitting down and chatting with me because I, this is having me. a conversation I very much wanted to have and, and and in talking to people about this you know happening they were like oh I let me know when that's you know when that that happens because I want to be 
I want to hear what what that conversation is. So well, that's nice to hear. Yeah. I hope this. I hope people find this helpful and. I encourage, I guess my parting words for anybody listening to this podcast, women in particular, is to to really consider the benefits of being curious and of having challenging conversations and really stretching yourself into that space where you can start to imagine what it would be like to to be paid what you feel you are worth being paid um, and how you're valued. So yeah, that would be, that would be my, my message for all, all the women out there. Awesome. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks. Hip hop. Hip hop. <laughs> like what you just heard? Want more? Subscribe through iTunes and be sure to visit the website at wemakepeople.org for more resources and discussion. Share, connect, empower. We make people. Thanks for listening.